Well, hey, good morning to you, Grace. It is so good to see you this morning. If you're visiting us for the first time here or on live stream, I want to introduce myself. My name is Nathan, and I'm the pastor here at Course of Grace. And uh, I want to welcome you, and I hope you sit back and relax and enjoy your Sunday morning today. Man, it's great to have, uh, have a couple guys getting baptized today. It is worthy of celebration. Uh, and the, the reason that it's worthy of celebration is not maybe even what you think. Those two guys didn't get saved today. That, that water is not holy. It's warm, it's nice, it's comfortable, but that water has no effectiveness spiritually. There was a time before, another day before, the day you probably weren't there for this day, that they put their faith and their trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And there was a celebration in heaven on that day, but you might not have gotten to celebrate. And so what happened today is these two guys are saying hey, publicly, that I want to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. And so when they go down in the water and they identify with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit as a part of their salvation, but they also identify with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit as a part of now their discipleship of their spiritual growth in the future. And so maybe you're just like one of those two guys and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You just haven't done this part yet. Well, this is your next step. And so we'd love, to, we'd love to baptize you just like you saw today. And so if you haven't been baptized, you know you're going to heaven, but you haven't been baptized since your, uh, your salvation, we want you to be baptized. You might have gotten baptized when you were a baby, and that's a wonderful thing, that your parents loved you, they cared for you, they wanted nothing but the best for you. But a biblical Christian baptism follows your salvation. It's after it. And so if you haven't been baptized yet, but you know you're going to heaven, hey, there's no time like the present. Right after this worship service, we'll have a couple people standing up front one side or another and uh, go up and talk to them. And uh, we can set you up for a time to get baptized. You don't have to get baptized today, uh, but we can set you up for a time to get baptized. Well, uh, we're in the series that we're calling Heroes. And so would you turn in your Bibles to the book of First Samuel in chapter 25? First Samuel 25. There's no shame in not knowing where this is in your Bible. Okay? There's no shame. Use the table of contents, but the title should give you a hint. First okay? Samuel comes right before Second Samuel. Okay. So I should give you a little hint, but if you don't know where it is, use the table of contents in the front of your Bible. There's no shame in using the table of contents. The only shame that there should be is not, not using your Bible and not looking it up. So I'm going to guilt you into this. First okay? Samuel chapter 25. And so we are talking about heroes. And everybody wants to be like somebody when they grow up. Everybody wants to be somebody when they grow up. And so what was it for you? What was the thing that you wanted to be when you grew up, when, when you were younger? Okay, I want you to think back to, to the good old days when, when you're a kid. What did you want to be when you grew up? What was it? For me, it was G.I. Joe. For some people, it's SpongeBob. I don't know. When you're a kid, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? You have that in your mind? You, you think about what that is? You got it? Okay. So now I'm going to ask you another question. Now that you're a little older than that, now that you're a little more growner upper, now what do you want to be or who do you want to be when you get a little growner upper from today? Eh? I, some people, that answer hasn't changed. They still want to be SpongeBob living in a pineapple under the sea. I get it. But, but most people, that has changed. Has it changed for you, the answer to that question? 
the answer to the what did you want to be when you were a kid, who did you want to be when you grew up as a kid, has that answer changed today to what you want to be when you get a little older from, from now? And the reason that that answer has changed over time is because you just realized that what you found very important at one point in time may be just a little less important now. You know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be Superman. But now, I want to be a family man. It, it used to be where I wanted to be wealthy and I wanted to have a place to this, live in this place or live in this city or live in this house or own that car or wear those clothes. And now, you trade everything for just some great relationships. One good friend, you trade all the money in the world for it. Or it used to be where I want to be, I want to be buff. I want to be ripped. And now it's just, you know, it's kind of like don't, don't rip my pants when I bend over sort of stuff, you know. And so... Things change, and I hope today is a change for us too, and today I hope changes one more thing. Today we're following a hero that you wouldn't necessarily think of as a hero. Her name is Abigail, and she was not a hero because she won a war. She wasn't a hero because she was a a big fighter. She wasn't a hero because she won at a great biblical battle. She was a hero because she won at peace. Abigail is not known because she won a war or because she won a fight. We know her because she won at peace. Now, I get it. We all want to be right, right? We, we all want to be right, right? And we are right, right? We're always right. I know I'm right. You know you're right. We always want to be right. And so when someone posts something on social media about, about your politician, you just can't let that go. You got to put something on there because you just got to make it right. Or you go to a store and they don't treat you exactly the way that you think you should be treated. And so you, you demand to see the manager and you demand an apology and you demand that you want to talk to corporate because you just want it to be right. Right? That, that's just how we are. We always want to be the right one. We always want to win the fight. We always want to win the battle. Hey, your spouse does something kind of stupid, and you never let them forget it because you just always want to be right. And I hope that changes today. I hope that changes today for you. I hope that changes today for our church. I hope we change this mentality from being the winner to winning at peace. That's the focus for today. Being the the winner at peace, the title for today is Heroes Make Peace, Not War. And so you turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 25, and we're going to start reading in verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 25, beginning at verse 1, Then Samuel died, and all Israel gathered together and mourned for him and buried him at his house in Ramah. And David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Now, let's stop right here for a minute. Samuel was a force for peace. That's who Samuel was. Samuel was a force for peace, so much so that he held back Saul and his hatred for David. You know David. David, David and Goliath, David, that David. Remember, David beat Goliath, and he became a national hero. He became the front page hero. He was the hero on every news channel. He, that's not the focus of our series. Those heroes are in the scripture too. 
Uh, the focus of this series is about the heroes that are kind of behind the scenes, the heroes that you don't really notice. Of course, God notices who they are, and he places them in Scripture so that we can emulate their life. But David was a front-page hero, and he got all the notoriety, and Saul was crushed by this because Saul was king. And Saul wanted to have that notoriety. Saul wanted to be the hero for his people. And so he began to despise and hate David. But Samuel, in his peaceful nature, was able to restrain the crazy out of Saul. And so he just didn't go off the deep end of his hatred towards David. But now, Samuel dies. And David hears about this on CNN. And he's like, "Uh uh-oh. I got to get out of Dodge, and I'm going to head to the wild, wild west to hide from Saul, continuing in verse 2 of 1 Samuel 25. Now, there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich, and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and it came about while he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Let's, and then it moves to this parentheses. Okay? It describes the characters in the story. Now, the man's name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. And the woman was intelligent and beautiful in appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his dealings, and he was a Calebite. So let's stop right there for a minute. So we have these two, these are two main characters. We have this rich, wealthy, cruel, evil man. His name is... Nabal. And you know what Nabal means? Nabal means fool. <laughs> you get, his parents have their baby and they're rocking him. What should we name this cute little puddle of goo? I think we should name him fool. He looks like an idiot to me. <laughs> We're going to name him fool. That's his name. Nabal means fool. And so we have Mr. Fool, Mr. Idiot, and he is married to this woman named Abigail. And this verse talks about how intelligent and beautiful she is. And the rest of this chapter will tell us how belligerent and how evil Nabal is and how wonderful and how graceful Abigail is. So let's keep reading here. Let's go back to verse 2 because the parentheses kind of messed everything up. Now, there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. And the man was very rich, and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And it came about while he was shearing his sheep in Carmel, skip verse 3, that David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. And so David sent 10 young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and visit Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you, will, you shall say, Have a long life. Peace be to you. Peace be to your house. And peace be to all that you have. And then he tells these 10 guys, and also say to Nabal, Now I have heard that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us. We have not insulted them, nor have they missed anything all the days they were in Carmel. Ask your young men that they will tell, ask your young men or your young shepherds and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we have come on a festive day. Please give whatever you find at hand to your servants and to your son, David. And so I have to explain a little bit of what's happening here because you just probably wouldn't pick it up automatically. Culturally, what has happened here as David left his 
uh, left town because he found out that Saul is, his hatred is now unleashed. There is no more Samuel holding him back. He, he runs to the, to the wild, wild west with 600 of his favorite bodyguards. <laughs> okay, 600 of his best buds. And 600 of the, the uh, you know, the Navy SEALs, all right? You got, you got Marines, okay? They, and they are ready to fight. And so they go into this Wild West area, and they do what's culturally normal. They become security for all of the farmers, all of the shepherds in the area. They're security. They're, they're running security there. And the gang, there would be gangs that would run through these areas and they would take out the, the farmers, they would pillage, they would plunder, they would steal the sheep. And so um, David and his 600 guys acted as security for all the farmers and all the shepherds. And so now this was a festive day. The festive day, because all the sheep get taken back to the farmers and they start to shear the sheep. This is where the income comes from the sheep. And so culturally, it was the custom that the shepherds would pay security a percentage of what they get from the sheared sheep. You know, you, you protect us, you secure us, and so you're going to get a percentage, basically a tip for your hard work. And so David, on this shearing day, this festive day, the day that the income comes in from the last year's worth of work, sends 10 guys up to collect the tip from Mr. Idiot, Nabal. Okay? And so, verse 9, it says, When David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all those words in David's name. Then they waited. And they waited. And they waited. In verse 10, they got their answer. But Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are Many servants today who are each breaking away from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat and my in and out burger that I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men whose origin I do not know? <laughs> this idiot said no. Nabal, the fool, said no. I mean, he almost makes it sound like, you know, I, my kids are going to go hungry. My family's going to go hungry. This is my food, and I need to provide for my family, and so you're taking it away from me. But remember, the guy is rich. Everybody knows Nabal. He's a wealthy man. It's like you know someone who's really wealthy going to a really nice restaurant and then not tipping because something was too good. You know, oh, the steak was too thick, <laughs> so I'm not going to tip. The, the carpeting was too clean, and so I'm not going to tip. The, the water glass was too clear. I'm not going to tip. And so this is just a spitting in the eye of David, okay? This is just, I don't know who you are, and you might be just some servant that ran away from his master, and I'm not going to support any of that sort of thing. And so verse 13 what does David do? Verse 13, Then David said to his men, Each of you gird on his sword. So each man girded up his sword, and David also girded up his sword. And about 400 men went up behind David, and while the 200 stayed behind with the baggage, David says, boom, it's on like Donkey Kong. Strap up, let's roll, here we go. We're going to take these guys out. He launches the, the, the 747 support planes. Then the F-16s come by. They're going to drop some nukes. He's got some tanks and some bazookas. 400 dudes against one shepherd? I mean... 
David is, it's like, this is like a window into the world of David. He is impulsive, he's emotional, and when you get on his bad side, boom! I mean, he is going to launch the entire military <laughs> after one shepherd. But he goes after it. He goes, on, he, goes, he goes in for the fight. Now, we already know that Nabal is a belligerent fool. He is evil, he is cruel. And so his family and the people that work for him pay, are paying twice. Because first, they have to deal with Nabal every single day. I mean, imagine having this guy as a boss. Every single day you have to deal with Nabal. But now, they are going to pay for being Nabal's kids and employees with their life. As soon as this group of 400 show up, <laughs> there's going to be nothing left. What's so funny, you know, Nabal isn't even thinking because these 600 guys could have already stolen Nabal blind, right? It could have taken everything that he already had and yet they weren't missing one single sheep. And David's men said, even, hey, ask your shepherds. We've been good. We haven't taken one single thing. We've protected them. David is hot. Now notice what happens next. Look at verse 14. Verse 14, but one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he scorned them. So one of the employees goes and tells Abigail what's going on. Now, why would he go and tell Abigail? <laughs> because her name doesn't mean idiot. <laughs> She has her head screwed on straight. And, th and the employee already knows that she has been the peacemaker in the home. She's the one that's made the things go around already. She's made adjustments for Nabal many times before. And he is desperately crossing his fingers that she comes up with some idea because his neck is on the line. He's going to get killed by these 400 dudes if she doesn't figure something out. And so notice what she does with this information, verse 18. Then Abigail hurried and took 200 loaves of bread and two jugs of wine and five sheep already prepared and five measures of roasted grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes and figs and loaded them on donkeys. And she says to her young men, go on before me, behold, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. It came about when she was riding on her donkey and coming down by the hidden part of the mountain. And behold, David and his men were coming down toward her, so she met them. This is the opposite of what most people would do in this situation. <laughs> what, what I'm thinking are two good options. Option one, pack up and go the other way. <laughs> okay? You know 600 uh, big buff bodyguards are coming. I'm just gone. Take my, you know, take my favorite kids and go, you know, and everybody else has to fend for themselves. Or option two, go down and meet David and say, hey, let me show you where he's sleeping. I'm sure we can work out a deal here somewhere, right? And go just point him right to exactly to where Nabal is. But she doesn't do either one of those two things. What does she do? Remember, she's She's smart, she's wise, she's thoughtful, she's humble, she's gentle, she's a peacemaker. And what does she put together? She puts together a bunch of goodie bags. I mean, she knows guys. 
Okay? She puts some cakes and some Twinkies and all sorts of good food okay, all together. And she takes down the smorgasbord of 7-Eleven snack aisles and she takes it down and she meets David there. And look at what happens then when they meet. Verse 23, then Abigail saw David. She hurried and dismounted from her donkey and fell on her face before David and bowed herself to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the blame. What? Okay, so this is just a test for you. How much of this situation, how much of this issue was Abigail's fault? How much of this was Abigail's fault? Zero. Zero percent of this was Abigail's fault. And so, how much did Abigail really need to own here? How much did she need to take responsibility for? Absolutely none. This was not her fault. This was not her gig. This was not her issue at all. And yet, how much responsibility does Abigail take for this? 100%. She didn't throw her husband under the bus. <laughs> I think that's what I would have done. She didn't throw her husband under the bus. She wanted nothing but the best for her husband. She took complete responsibility for what happened, even though it wasn't her fault, even though it wasn't her issue, she comes in as the gentle, humble woman with the goal to make peace between her idiot husband and this fly-off-the-handle, impulsive, reactionary, emotional David. She tries to make peace between those two guys. Good luck with that. Now, notice how... How things go down. Look at verse um, 32. Let's get down to verse 32. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me, and blessed be your discernment, and blessed be you, who have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. It says down in verse 35, So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, go up to your house in peace. See, I have listened to you and granted your request. David did not expect this, but he appreciated it. He, he kind of realized that he kind of stuck his neck out a little too far than he should have. And Abigail rescued him from doing something that he would have regretted if he had pursued his, just his passions he would have regret, regretted where he would have been. And so Abigail is obviously beautiful, but she is obviously very wise. And so the question is, did Mr. Idiot, Nabal, did he ever like appreciate who, who he had as a wife? Well, the Bible tells us more of the story. Look at verse 36. Then Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. Big old party. 
And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. And so she did not tell him anything at all until the morning light. But in the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, like the hangover is over, his wife told him these things, everything that had happened with David, and his heart died within him so that he became as a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. Like, I would think Daniel would say like, ah, oh, I am so glad that I am married to you. My idiot self almost got us killed and you saved the day. I love you. I'm glad I'm married to you. Here's a Maserati for all of your troubles. He doesn't say any of that. Nabal strokes out and he dies. That's what happens. Abigail won but she didn't win a battle. She didn't win against David. She didn't win against her husband. And let's be honest, she was the rightest one of them all. And yet, she didn't win at being right. She was right. Right? I mean, we're right. Right? You're, you're right. Right? And yet, she didn't win at being right. She won at peace. Well, David makes a very, probably one of his better decisions in his life. In verse 39, made a great decision. Then David heard that Nabal was dead. And he said, blessed be the Lord who pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from evil. He's referring to himself. He realized that God restrained him like, um, like Samuel did to did to Saul. He, God restrained David from his impulsive emotional reaction and held him back. How did God hold back David from doing something with these 400 guys and crushing this house and he would have regretted it? How did God hold him back? Abigail. He sent Abigail down there. The wise, gentle, humble woman. He goes down there, completely unexpected, he didn't expect that. And, and immediately, everything is brought down. And David realizes it in retrospect. This woman was used by God to protect me, David, from evil. And he continues, there's still more in this verse. The Lord has also returned the evil doing of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent a proposal to Abigail to take her as his wife. He proposes to her. Now, I'm sure he's a little bit gun-shy here. If you remember anything about David, David was married already, but he was forced to divorce his first wife because, remember, David and Goliath, David wins. One of the promises of Saul is, whoever beats Goliath gets my daughter as their wife. And so David and Saul's daughter were married. But Saul's passions burned against David eventually and kind of forced, he, he forced their divorce. And so now he's kind of gun-shy, I'm sure, a little bit about all of this, but he found a woman who had things that, had things that he didn't have. He was impulsive and reactionary and emotional, and this woman didn't have that. She was humble. 
She was gentle. She was respectful. She was thoughtful. And he said, that, that's a woman right there that, that I want to marry. See, those, those traits were not David's traits. And so I know there's some teenagers, young adult girls, women in here. There might be some women in here that want to get married someday. And so if you hear nothing else that I say today, right, probably don't care anything about any of this, okay? but, but pay attention to me just in this one thing, right? If, if you're looking for someone to marry, I want you to, to know that there are a lot of Nabels out there. There are a lot of Nabels out there. And so it's important that, that, that you are careful and considerate in the man that you start to fall in love with. It's hard to climb back out, you know, climb back up the hill of love once you're rolling downhill. And there are a lot of good-looking, wealthy, sparkle in their eye, good teeth, ripped dudes who are idiots. And as soon as they find out that you're a Christian or into Christianity, they instantly will be a Christian for you. Okay, this is like sneak peek behind the, 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 the guy world. Okay? Here's your sneak peek, girls. Okay? A guy instantly, if he finds out what you're interested in, boom, he's automatically that too. And it's important that you're careful in who you're looking to marry, even if your parents want you to marry them. You know, we know that Abigail was super smart. She would have never married Mr. Idiot on her own. But she lived in a culture where her family arranged her marriage with Nabal. And so that's just the way that it was. And understandably so, the parents had this wealthy, influential, good-looking guy who wouldn't want their daughter to ma marry a wealthy, influential, good-looking guy. She's going to be taken care of. She's going to even have a, a better life than even I could provide for her. Every parent would want that. But even if your parents want you to marry somebody, be careful in who it is because there are a lot of nables out there who are just idiots. And so you're looking for someone who's not just a Christian. You're looking for someone who is a, is a follower of Jesus because every dude is going to tell you he's a Christian, but you're looking for the one that was already teaching Sunday school even before you met him. You're looking for the one that loves Jesus more than he loves you. You're looking for the one that's already been a part of a church long before he even met you because that one is committed to Christ even before he was committed to you. Okay? So be thoughtful in who you're looking to marry but David found somebody who, who was different than him. And notice verse 42, what ultimately the response was of her in this proposal. In verse 42, then Abigail quickly rose and rode on a donkey with her five maidens who attended her, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. Abigail said yes to the dress. She, she, she thinks she found somebody that was, um, that was a, a right fit for her. Now guys, I know there's some guys in here who want to get married someday. Okay? If you don't hear anything else I say, listen to this. Find a woman 
who has qualities that you don't have. Okay? Don't find a woman who's just like you. We don't need another you. One's enough. Okay? Uh, one is enough of you. So find a woman who has qualities that, that are not yours, that would strengthen a, a marriage, that would be additions to future kids. But the key is, guys, once you find that Christian girl who that's the one, you have to be the Christian guy that she would want to marry. You can't, just, you can't just say, oh, that's the one. I'm in love with her. She'd be perfect for my family. And then be enable because there's no forced marriages here. You have to be the Christian man that that Christian woman would want to say yes to. And ultimately, that's what happened in, in this marriage here. And so Abigail was a hero, not because she won the war. And she wasn't the hero because she was right, and she made sure that everybody knew that she was right. She was a hero because she won at peace. She didn't win at war. And she won at peace in her own house. She didn't argue with her husband. She could have, but she didn't. She didn't divorce her husband. There were, I'm sure there were dudes lined up that would have loved to have married her but she didn't. She could have made a deal with David about, you know, just kind of, hey, there's his bedroom, but she didn't. And then she made peace not only with her cruel, brutal, idiot husband, she then made peace with an impulsive, reactionary, emotional guy who wanted to go after her husband. She made peace with her husband's enemies. And he wasn't even there. He didn't ask her to do it. She, he did, he didn't, even, Nabal didn't even know that she was doing it. And so that's, that's what I want us to remember, is that heroes make peace, not war. Now, some of you know your Bibles pretty well, and you're thinking back, wait, we're in the Old Testament, and some of God's greatest Heroes in the Bible are ones who just slaughtered entire nations. They were men of war. They, they were, you know, Joshua, uh, David, men of war. But what I want you to know about those is that those are all God's judgment on godless nations. That's what's happening there in the Old Testament. The issue was not between... Um, Joshua and this other nation. The issue isn't between Israel and this godless nation. The issue in the Old Testament always is the godless nation against God. And God gives them hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years to change their mind about God and changing their minds about these things. And eventually, God's patience wears out and his justice comes. And so in all of those situations that you can think of uh, where it just doesn't make sense that, you know, why were we talking about peace and yet those things occur, that's, that's God's justice that is occurring on people who have rejected him as God. Those guys aren't merely fighting their own little squabbles and their own little personal opinions. God never gives a thumbs up for us to start a fight over our own little personal issues. Oh, you wear Nikes? They're made in China. You must be a slave owner. Like, I mean, that's how I mean, things get crazy like this. God does not give us a, a thumbs up to, to start arguments over politics. Oh, 
Democrats. They're definitely not going to heaven. Oh, Republicans, they're definitely going to hell. God does not give us permission to start to fight over these kinds of things. I mean, I know you're right, right? Yeah, of course you're right, right? But God does not give us permission to win all of these little skirmishes all, all along the way on social media, everyone becomes a keyboard warrior, banging those things out. God does not give a thumbs up for us to, uh, to, to treat one skin color this way and because you're that skin color, I'm gonna treat you another way. That, that is nowhere in scripture. Christians are to be known as people that are making peace among all of these different kinds of people and all these different beliefs and understandings and all these, we're to make peace with them, we are not to start another fight, another war, and be right. I mean, I know you're right, right? We're always right, right? So God's people, they make peace, they don't make war. But this isn't just something from Abigail. Um, she definitely was the hero in the story, but this is throughout Scripture. Why don't you look at Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, Paul says this. He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. <laughs> Did you know that it's possible to be at peace with everyone around you? Or at least as much as it depends on you. As much as it depended on Abigail, she was at peace with an idiot husband. She, she didn't have to be. She was the one that was wronged and yet she was at peace with her husband. Abigail was at peace with her husband's enemies. As much as it depended on her, she loaded up the snack bags, put the snack bags together. She knew they were guys and were gonna like the food that she brought. She was trying to make peace. Now, as much as it depended on her, she was making peace. Now, if David came up with a bazooka and blew up her and her donkey and continued to march on, well, hey, now that's out of her hands, right? That's not in her hands. So you, you can kind of take this to relationships that you have with your family, with your friends. Hey, as much as it depends on you, you your goal is to be at peace. Now, somebody else may not ever come to that point in their own world. But as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And it tells us more here about that. It says, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You're driving down the 91 freeway, and some idiot speeds past you, cuts you off, puts you on the brakes, you freak out, and you just want to go at him. And so you just sit there and you pray, okay, God, get him with a bolt of lightning at the next exit vengeance is yours <laughs> you just pray that all those people that cut you off like got it <laughs> somewhere down the 91 freeway right that's what this is saying that, that god will take care of the issues the, the the ways that you were wronged as long as you were the one that's bringing peace to the situation. If you're not, you all of a sudden become the wrong one and now God's vengeance could be upon you. And that's not what you were looking for because you were right, right? We always wanna be right and, and fight to the very end. Now, I, I, I know you're probably thinking, wait, I, I, I'm a lover, not a hater. 
I, I would never hit anybody. I would never uh, fight anybody. But I want you to think about just some certain situations that we in our culture really just kind of get ourselves sucked into. And maybe you might have seen yourself sucked into uh, some of these situations as well. I've mentioned social media and some fight breaks out about your favorite politician. And, and you just have to put some facts in there yourself. Because after all, you're right. Right? Abigail never had a social media post. Ever. There's not one. Or fighting with someone over politics because after all, you're right and you have a set of facts. But remember, Abigail, she was the right one. She could have gone down to David and said, you get your guys out of here. You're doing this all wrong. You're flying off the handle. You're acting immature. You guys go back there. And she would have started a whole nother fight. She would have been right, right? But she didn't do that. She came at this with a desire for peace in the situation. Or when something isn't going your way at the store or at the restaurant and you begin to argue and you want people to make it just right for you. Yeah, maybe you were wrong. Maybe you did pay for something and, and you didn't get it. I, get, I understand that. But this verse would say, hey, even still in that situation, our goal is to be at peace with all, all people. Abigail would have been the best customer ever for those of you who've ever worked in customer service abigail would have been the best customer she would have tipped even if her order was wrong when it came to her table she would have tipped if she got iced tea instead of coke zero now for me that's fighting words okay coke zero is glorious tea is like it's worse than green juice you know i mean it's just tea but coke zero now abigail she would she would tip on tea i mean that they owe me if I'm forced to drink the tea. She would have been the best customer wherever she goes. Maybe you find yourself in a difficult marriage. Maybe some of you are married to a Nabal. Or maybe some of you guys are married to a she-Nabal. <laughs> but she never fought with her husband, even when she was right. She always wanted the best for him, even when he didn't want the best for himself. She never threw him under the bus, even though she should have. Not once. She took complete ownership and she brought peace to the entire situation. Or maybe you just find yourself apologizing all the time. You find yourself apologizing all the time to people for hurting their feelings or, or gossiping about them or at least feeling guilty for doing it. <laughs> you feel guilty for crushing their spirits and so you, you think you should apologize but it's over and well, they'll get over and I'm not gonna worry. Do you ever have that feeling in you where, man, I think I might have hurt their feelings? Well, that is, that is a time to realize I think I've gone too far. Abigail, she didn't even talk bad about her husband in her little small uh, women's uh, small group couched in a prayer request, talking bad about her husband. She didn't do any of that. Now, how in the world could we do this? How could we be at peace with all people? Well, the Bible tells us how to do it. They never, the Bible never leaves us stranded in knowing how to live our lives for Jesus. And this is what the Bible says. Now, this verse is something that our, uh, our men's small groups memorize this verse. And you'll know why once we read it here. It says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. 
but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than ourselves. Do not merely look out for our own personal interests, but also for the interests of of other people. Now you can see why why it's so important to have guys memorize this verse because guys are like David and we're going to plot the handle and we're going to pump you in submission because we're right, right? But see, this verse turns all of that on its head and says, yes, you're right, you're right. And yet you give up your rights for the benefit of somebody else and even just their wants. They might even be wrong, but we look out for their personal interests even before we look out for our own personal interests. Now think of this. How many enemies would you have if you just did this one thing? How many people would you be fighting with if every time you saw them, no, 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 whatever you want. I defer to you, man. You want to go there? I want to do that? Whatever it is. I want to do it your way. Um, How many enemies would you have? I'm going to bet not many. You probably have a lot more friends. Oh, I want to be his friend. (laughs) He's not going to push me every step of the way. How many enemies would you have if we just did this one little thing? That's why... Small groups are so important because our small groups help guys and women remember these things. And so whenever you're in a situation where you've been wronged, if you're in one of our men's small groups, you, you can remember this first. Do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit with humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than ourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Okay, I'll do that. This is how a person is at peace with all people. This is how it happens. Now, one of the ways that a Christian, one of the reasons that a Christian can do this, because I know this seems so impossible to do, but one of the reasons that a Christian can do this is because they've experienced peace with God. God sends his son, Jesus. He is named in the Bible as the Prince of Peace. He is the one that comes as a way to reconcile people who are far from God, people who are enemies of God, with a righteous, holy, perfect God. The Bible says, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ came and he died for us. He didn't come once we did everything God wanted us to do. God was right, right? And he didn't have to provide any sort of salvation for anybody, did he? He didn't have to. He was right, And we were wrong. And yet, God in an act of peace, a peace towards humanity, a peace to to your soul, he sends his son, the second person to Trinity to planet Earth. He lives a perfect life, never sins one time. So when he goes to the cross, he's dying not for his own sin, he's dying for your sin and mine. And when a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus, their sins are washed away and they are reconciled. They are brought close to a mighty, holy, righteous God that we do not deserve at all. We know, I mean, we deserve eternity in in hell because of our sin. And it would be be grace from God if he would just send us to hell for a little while and then take us to heaven. That would be wonderful grace of God. And yet he does not do that. He brings complete peace to us to a person's soul, reconciling them wholly to God. When they die, they go to heaven. They don't spend one minute in any 
other place than immediately in the presence of God. And that is why we could do what Abigail did because we've seen it. We've experienced this peace. And so now we can give this peace to others. Not to earn our salvation, we're already going to heaven. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're already going to heaven. But the reason that we would live peacefully is because, is because we are going to heaven. That's why. You are. And so we live peacefully. Hey, before I finish here, I have a very important announcement for our church, two of them. And I know sometimes online, you guys tune out right at the end here. Do not tune out. If you tune out, you're going to come back next Sunday, and you're not even going to know what's going on. Okay? And so I'm excited about these announcements, but don't tune out now. Some of you might, have, might desire this sort of peace. Maybe you're online, maybe you're here, and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus today. Today's a day where you can find peace with an almighty God. You're like, man, God would never save me. He would never rescue my soul. He, you don't know the things that I've done. I don't, and I don't want to know. You don't, don't tell me the things that you've done. But God in heaven knows the things that you've done, and yet he sent his son anyway to die on the cross for your sins that you have already committed, for the ones that you're committing now, wishing that the sermon was already done, and the ones that you're going to commit in the future. He died on the cross for them all. And you can put your faith and your trust in the Savior too, and he rescues your soul. So I'm going to give you here in the room an opportunity to do that. I'm going to give you online an opportunity to put your faith and trust in Jesus, bring reconciling peace to your heart today. So I'm going to ask you here in the room to bow your heads and close your eyes. It just creates a little separation between you and the person next to you for just a minute. And in this moment of peace, when nothing else is happening, you can consider these things before God. And you talk to him in the quietness of your own heart. You don't need to say anything out loud, but this is what you could say in your heart to God as a prayer. God, I know that I've sinned, and I know that that separates me from you. I know that because I don't even have peace in my own heart. And so I need a Savior. I believe that Jesus is the one that came to save me from my sins. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that he lived a perfect life, and I believe that he rose from the grave after he died on the cross for my sin. I believe all those things. And so I put my faith and my trust in this Jesus. I put my eternity in the hands of this Jesus. Now, with your head still bowed in the room and you still staring at me on TV, many of you are already Christians. You've told that to me yourself. And it's possible that you've been living for yourself and not for peace. You've been considering your own desires above others. And the only reason that I know that's possible is because we're all humans. And I understand. And today's the day where you, after hearing God's word, God's thoughts in these matters, you could change your mind about this and you could confess it to God, apologize to him, and then ask him to help you to live at peace with other people. And you could pray this prayer. You could say, dear God, I know that I've been considering myself first and other people as idiots. I know that I haven't been deferring to other people, and I'm sorry. That's been wrong. That's been wrong of me to do, and now I realize it, and I pray that you and your Holy Spirit would help me to do better in this area. I pray that you'd help me to be a good representative of yours. And God, we worship you today because you've revealed these things to us. You've offered us eternal life in heaven. You've provided peace for us that we could never describe. 
And that's why we worship you today. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.